everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, episode 44, The Tightwad Teacher, for April 28th, 2011. This week we'll be joined by uh, John Mikulski, who's a 7th uh, and 8th grade uh, teacher in uh, just outside of Buffalo, New York, and he'll be talking with us about some of his favorite uh tightwad classroom techniques and uh we need to get more teachers on the show uh we've had uh, leaders in in the world of of education and we've had uh, more than our first share fair share of geeks but we don't have a lot of teachers right. out there so we're glad to have john with us and uh look forward to uh maybe having some other teachers out there come on and share with us in future episodes um we're doing this show a day late recording it a day late and uh hopefully it will be uh um edited and posted in time but we had uh so we're having our typical monsoon season here in northeast texas yeah uh, slash if, tornado season. yeah if you've ever lived here um I often say that this is one of the few places in the world where weather actually forms. Almost everywhere else in the world, it rolls in, and you have days of notice. But here, you have the the warm, moist, moist air coming up from the Gulf Stream, and you have uh, uh, you have the cool the north cold, air. cold, dry air coming in from Canada, and it all meets right over North Texas and Southern Oklahoma, and that all that energy it just, just explodes and boom, <laughs> and uh, and we're not in Kansas anymore. So yesterday, when we were going to be uh, recording this. Um, the uh, uh, the power was going out regularly, and our internet access was going out. And in fact, one of our two ISPs actually got struck by lightning and was completely offline. <laughs> so uh, we decided to push that back, and uh, and here we are now, uh, looking out the window. Our flags are pointing straight out. <laughs> the wind is so so much, and there's more coming. So uh, we're going to uh, move through this one rather quickly. Yeah, we're uh, going to try to beat that big giant red storm cell that's, that's moving right. up the radar at us. <laughs> but speaking of water. We had an interesting story to tell. Uh, we have a, a an IP surveillance uh, system here at our our new school, which uh, it's uh, you know it's a, a fairly common thing. We've got IP cameras all over the place, and it all ties into one big uh, uh, Dell server, uh, Windows based server. And it's been acting oddly for a while now. And, and, uh, just those weird kind of things that you can't quite explain. You're not sure if it's software or hardware. Uh, it's got a big six terabyte, uh, RAID array, um, on it. So, uh, you know, it could have been any one of those drives. So for, for a few weeks now, we've been, uh, I've been troubleshooting it. I, I pulled the, every one of the jobs out and, uh, drives out and ran my favorite tool spin right on it and, uh, and just couldn't figure out what it was. And so finally, um, as we were, I thought, you know, let's, let's unplug this thing and sort of pull it down and, uh, see, um, what, what we can see and uh sean went around to the back of the server while i was standing in the front of the server and he pulled out the um removable power supply and water dripped on him yeah <laughs> and, yeah I, well, I, that's and, the last thing i was expecting and really something that when you're messing with the power supply right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want water dripping on and, you <laughs> and this is a machine that five seconds earlier had been running Okay. Um, and so then I thought, well, that's weird. So we pulled the the panel off and it's, it was up high in the rack and I had to sort of pull it down onto me and let it fall onto my chest so I could grab it. And easily a quart of water poured out of that thing, uh, onto my shirt and soaked me and it was stagnant, nasty water. So it had been there a while. So probably all these like three or four weeks I've been troubleshooting this thing. Um, it's been water and, and we went to looking for the source of the water and it was the air conditioning unit in our server room was dripping just a little drip at a time, but landing right smack on the top of that server. And, um, we still don't know the dispensation of it. It's it's fried for sure, but we don't know how bad it is. But uh, props to Dell for building a machine that can run. <laughs> they were having it was we were having trouble with it, but still it was actually running for uh for weeks uh, while it was swimming around in water. So uh, um you know right now we uh have a backup uh, thing uh, in place. Uh, have to say that so people don't think we're completely unprotected in terms of our video surveillance. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we're we're looking at getting that server repaired, but it looks like it's going to be maybe one or two boards and it'll work. So, uh, again, mad props to Dell on their, on their good hardware. Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, the amount of water that came out of that thing and yeah, like you said, still running. I mean, just that it, 
even was powering on was amazing. Right. The front of my shirt was soaked. It looked like somebody had thrown a bucket of water on me. Right. And, you know, it's also amazing that one of us didn't die, <laughs> die in the server room. That would have been great. You know, we'd have a, our next show. You know, uh, unfortunately, we, we regret to inform you that uh, Sean died in the server room today. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because then there'd be all the Elvis-like sightings afterwards, and I right. don't really want to deal with that. And I'd have to re- have a recording of you saying, great show, at the end of every episode. <laughs> That's right, That'd yeah. Your legacy. have to soundbite that out, yeah. And so, uh, Sean wanted to share what has got to be a great story, just from the title of it. Sean's mom buys an iPhone. <sighs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny how this irony just keeps following us around, you know, you with winning the iPad, and then, you know, yeah, I I go over to my, uh, my parents' house one day, and uh, she's says uh you know i got this new phone and she had an old phone you know uh, very typical for somebody her age group very simple uh, you know make calls cell phone and uh, so she finally decided that she wanted to get you know a smartphone you know something that was more uh you know in line with what you can do with phones today and so she had asked me like previously like maybe a week or two before that that she was thinking about that and i i said mom one word just android just look at the Android phones, and I'm sure there's going to be something there that you're going to like that's going to kind of somewhat make sense to you, and you know I'll help you with the rest. So that was so why, a- Sean? Why Android? Why not iPhone? Well, I just because I really thought one that she wasn't going to get the iPhone, and then two, uh, there's yeah, you you run into the restrictions. Well, I want to do this. Well, you know, Apple doesn't let you do that, you know, and uh, and then it's the uh, you know the the syncing and uh, all this kind of stuff. And I just you know uh, the restrictions are something that I just really don't care for. And I don't, Sean hates Apple. Let's just right. say it. And and I don't think that necessarily it's any easier to use than a than an android phone and i've had uh i've probably had about similar experiences with both and i you know honestly think as far as usability is concerned that for especially the average user like my mom's age there's really uh they're equals so so she comes home with this pristine new iphone oh yeah and, she shows it to me and i just looked at it and, and of birds course, are singing and flowers are blooming and and <laughs> life is grand because she has an iphone right well no not so much not so much uh so this thing and it's funny you know uh, apple users are so fond of reminding uh everybody who's on windows about our blue screens of death of which gosh i haven't seen one in a couple of years but uh Apple doesn't blue screen of death. And you know what? That's right. Because what it does is it black screens of death. Okay. <laughs> so this thing in, in three days, it black screened on her four times. And, uh, and so her, her calls to support, uh, basically had her, uh, resync and basically reload the OS, right? And start, start from scratch. Not that big of a deal because she's hardly been in the thing. But the fact is that it, it keeps doing it. And, uh, and that's really all they've been able to offer her up so far. And it doesn't sound like it's a, it's a hardware issue. So, uh, you know, I just, I told her, I said, mom, you know, I told you Android, you know, and I didn't specifically tell her don't get an iPhone, you know, if she likes the iPhone, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, it's just ironic that it's me and my mother gets the iphone and uh uh yes and so that means you're the de facto support for the iphone oh absolutely right? i'm becoming more and more familiar with the iphone and uh and you know it's it's frustrating you know uh, one interesting thing that i, I wait 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 didn't you tell me recently your brother bought an ipad too uh yes my it's brother just, my the brother, pod people are all around you yes and and he's very much that that person and it works for him and uh, uh you know really no qualms with that uh but uh, you know, it's funny because my, my mom watches the grandchildren throughout the day and not only, uh, my kids, but, uh, uh, my brothers. And so she's, she's kind of this, uh, daytime nanny for us all. Right. And of course she's got this iPhone and all the kids want to get their hands on it. And, you know, I'm noticing that, uh, Apple makes it very easy for kids to accidentally buy something. 
is <laughs> <laughs> all I can say. And so I'm, I'm constantly having to, to warn my mom, you know, you may not, because we're talking about small kids, you know, there's little warnings that say, yeah, click here and you can buy, you know, the upgraded version or whatever. Um, but it's, it's very simple because once they've tied into your Apple ID and your Apple account, boom, there you go. So, um, so I am curious if there's any of our listeners out there that I, I maybe there's some app that blocks that or requires something. No, I've read lots and lots of, uh, uh, issues uh, from schools doing iPod touches and iPads in the classroom where they have that same problem. There's some account somewhere linked to that. Yeah, and, and, and linked to a credit card. Right, and they're not designed for centralized management. It's uh, it's an issue that uh, that will be an issue as as these things proliferate into the classrooms. And it would also be an issue with you know an Android phone and and the the Kindle devices that libraries are buying. It's it's a problem that needs to be fixed, just sort of industry wide. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm th- just thinking that the OS somehow, like, uh, you know, let's say for Apple, I don't think it would be very hard for them to institute, uh, when your device tries to access the store and buy something that it's, you've got another level of authentication there. Maybe you have to put another password in or something, uh, would not be hard at all. And I mean, come on, we know the people at Apple are smart enough to, in- to put something like that into place. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's one. And I've just had to keep reminding her, don't let the kids play with this while you're not watching right. them. So, so yeah, uh, irony strikes twice. <laughs> we'll I be guess. looking forward to uh, iPhone updates in the future. Yes, absolutely. The iPhone update of the oh, week. Oh, yeah, you know I'm just going to have more and more <laughs> fodder for uh, my Apple bashing as the weeks progress. All right, and so we'll we'll move right on now to our, our last um, paid advertisement for the month of April um, from our friends over at CWS Software, our, our good friend Chuck Sipersky, uh, creator of our beloved Fog. Moment of silence for Fog. Yes. Oh, thank you, Fog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, Chuck uh, has uh, also brought uh, built a tool called uh, Power PTC, and the PTC stands for Parent Teacher Conference. And the power, uh, I'm sure, comes from the fact that if you uh, are a Pearson Power School user, it uh, links directly with that. If not, you can uh, export your data and, and import it into Power PTC. Uh, and what uh, Power PTC does is uh, allow a web-based interface for uh, the schedule scheduling of parent-teacher conferences. You can allow your parents to uh, create their own accounts and log in and do it themselves, or you can have a, a secretary or designee of some sort do it. Um, and it allows uh, uh, this to be a, a painless process. So it's got all your teacher's information in it and all their students' information and all their parents' information. So if a parent has uh, four students at three different campuses, uh, when they log in, they see all of that. And, and they just say, on Tuesday the 17th, I want to meet with all of my kids' teachers. Right. Uh, Power PTC will look at their schedules and know when the teachers have off and plot all that out for them so that they can know the most efficient route to get there uh, based on travel even or by by time or just a matter of of when people can be available when you're dealing with that many teachers um You've got a lot of scheduling conflicts, and that can often be a nightmare to handle manually. And PowerPTC does all that uh, automatically. Uh, and uh, it's a great, it's a very simple uh, web-based uh, interface. Uh, we've we've both played with it, and and it's something that the, your average mother, you know, uh, of children can do. You don't have to be a geek to do it. But for the geeks, it has some uh, pretty cool benefits too, in that uh, it's delivered in the form of a virtual machine. You just uh, download it from his website uh, at cwsoft.com slash tightwad. That's our special URL uh, for, for Tightwad Tech listeners. Uh, you download the virtual machine. You deploy it on uh, your VMware server. Uh, and it's ready to go. You answer a few questions, give it an IP address, and, and, it's, and it's good to go. Uh, there's a demo license available, so you can uh, 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 get one of those and test it out f- with your own data for a time. So it doesn't cost anything to try it out. You don't have to set up a dedicated server for it. Uh, it's uh, very simple uh, for both the techs and for the end users. And uh, if you do decide to purchase it, it's very inexpensive uh, overall. If you uh, have a small school, 200 students or less, it's absolutely free uh, forever. Uh, but if uh, you have, I think, a 1,000 students, uh, it's uh, somewhere around $400 for, for that version. So version 1.0 will cost you that. And then when you, uh, you know, 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, and then when you get up to 2.0, it'll make you pay again. But you, you get a lot of value for that little bit of money. 
And if you enter the uh, coupon code TIGHTWAD when you check out, you get 20% off the already low price. Right. So there you go. So again, that uh, URL is cwssoft, cwssoft.com slash tightwad. That's a special URL just for our listeners. And uh, the coupon code tightwad at checkout gets you 20% off. So thank, thank you, Chuck, and CWS Software for advertising with us, for being our first ever paid advertisers for the month of April. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all with all of that said, you know, the one thing that I can really think of is, you know, we know it's Chuck Sapersky. But what's the W? I'm yeah. thinking like Wayne, Whitt- Charles Wayne, Whittle Dunk. <laughs> you would come up with Whittle Dunk. Yeah. Could be just, William. Just, yeah, just having fun with Chuck. He's yeah. a great guy. <laughs> So uh, we'll move right on in after that smooth transition right. uh, to our guest, John Mikulski, and uh, uh, see what he has to say about us. John, tell us a little bit about your experience in, in education and, and what is it that makes you a tightwad? All right. Well, uh, I teach 7th and 8th grade English language arts in a school outside of Niagara Falls, New York. Um, it's my eighth year teaching there. And uh, the interesting part about the area where I, where I teach, um, it's a fairly rural school district, but we also have a lot of new growth in terms of new developments, new uh, building going up. So the socioeconomic status of the students that come in is pretty diverse. We have literally driving to school every day. Um, I'll pass a hundred year old school or a hundred year old farmhouse built right next to a half million dollar new build. So um, part of me having to be tightwad tech is just knowing that I can't necessarily rely on what students might be coming in with. And uh, I found being that kind of tight white tech and relying on things like web, web apps and, and free software, open source software, um, is kind of a way to make sure that what I do in class is as equitable as possible. Okay. And so you these tools, but being free, allow uh, not only uh, access to you in your classroom, but to your students at home. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, yeah. All right, and then what are some of the tools that you use? What are some of the tightwad tools that that are in your tool bag? Um, like I said, you know, most of the standards I do. I love using like things like um, Open Office, but I really do tend to, to gear myself more towards web apps, mostly because um, many of the good ones are free, uh, and also more importantly, they're on the cutting edge. I mean, technology moves so quick, and and the web apps come and go so fast. It, it's easy to stay up on that as opposed to having to constantly download new versions of software. Um, but most recently, web apps I've really been uh, using a lot in class are things like um, Storybird, which I think you guys have mentioned at some point uh, as one of your teacher tips. Right. Uh, Blogster I, I like a lot. There's one uh, just recently I kind of rediscovered called iEtherpad.com. Oh, yeah. uh, and that actually had been uh, a site called Etherpad, which has eventually had been bought out by Google, and then they made it open source, and there's a bunch of copies of it now. But uh, that operates similar to, say, a Google Docs, where you can have uh, live editing from more than one author, and that works great in like an ELA classroom like mine to have kids being able to collaborate online and also do it from home. So those are all things that I'm finding uh, to be really beneficial to have in class. Is that now? Is that something that you had to turn to because your your school is not running Google uh, Google Apps for Education? Absolutely, and um, you know I I suffer from some of the same problems that a lot of teachers have. Um, that being the, the blocking, you know, it's and no fault of anybody's, but it's really hard to block things that truly need to be blocked and things that probably shouldn't be. And I know we've had a problem in the past with Google Docs where you know the kids are smart; they're smarter than we we give them credit for lots of times. And they figured out how to use it as a proxy to get around our filtering to get to some sites they weren't supposed to. So um, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction was just to block everything. So a lot of the sites, yeah, it, they almost end up being substitutes for other things. You know, for example, like instead of using Google Docs, if I do need to use something more cloud-based, uh, I'll go to Zoho because Zoho.com is not blocked. So a lot of it is just having to know what's out there to get around some of the things that aren't necessarily accessible at school. Uh, tell us a little bit about the school where you work. Uh, you, um, what size is it? Uh, what? Uh, uh, how many students do you interact with on a regular basis? Sure. It's actually a, a great school. It's a great place to teach, and we're really uh, pretty innovative in terms of uh, what we're doing with technology right now. 
the school total is a six through eight building. It's about a thousand kids total and we're on teams. So my uh, team has about 110 kids, give or take. Um, the whole district as a whole, there's five elementary schools that feed into ours and then the high school you know, uh, is connected as well. So it's a fairly large district, especially considering it is fairly rural. Um, one thing that really uh, kind of sets us apart from the other schools in the area right now, we're one of the first to be implementing a one-to-one -one computing uh, initiative for next year. It's actually already started. So that's also something that's in the back of my head is looking for web apps and looking for things that I can be doing next year knowing that every student will be walking in my door with a, a computer. We, we purchased um, Dell netbooks for every student in the district. Very interesting, very interesting. That leads me to what one of my questions was going to be, What what is your current access to technology? Um, as far as current technology that we have, uh, we have quite a bit accessible to us. There's several computer labs that we can take classes down to. We also have the, the, lap, the portable op laptop carts. Um, so at this point, pretty much anything that we need is accessible to us. It's not exactly as um, convenient as if a student would walk in with, with a laptop under their arm, but we do have quite a bit that's available. The one thing that our, our school has, which has been a blessing and also uh, kind of difficult for the teachers to manage around, we have um, some software installed on all the computers in the district called Deep Freeze. I don't know if you're aware of, of Deep Freeze. Um, basically what it does is every time the computer is turned on, it restores to whatever image was originally on the machine when Deep Freeze was first installed. So it saved a ton of money for um, our techs and ton of, of time for our techs and all the help, uh, the technology help, because there's no such thing as a pop-up on our computers at school anymore. There's no such thing as a virus or anything crashing because literally a kid can erase the hard drive and then as soon as that computer's restarted or turned off, Deep Freeze kicks in and restarts. So that's nice. However, what that means for us is that if there's a, a spur of the moment idea I have and I want to install some free software or some open source software onto a computer, I can do that for that one time. And then as soon as the computer turns off, it erases it. So that's one obstacle that we have to deal with um, because the other option is either not using it or going through all the paperwork of emailing uh, the help desk and having them file a report to have someone come out and install that after turning deep freeze off. So. Um, the long answer to your question is we have a lot of technology, but it's sometimes a little trickier to use than maybe it should be. Yeah, we, we don't use Deep Freeze itself, but we use another similar tool. And, and you're right, it's both a blessing and a curse. Uh, I have often said that you start school in August with a nice, fresh new computer, and before Christmas, it's unusable. Uh, yes. But uh, with, uh, with things like Deep Freeze, uh, that's not the case. You get that same new computer every day of the year, uh, but it does require some planning. We're uh, a little smaller and a little more nimble. Uh, we don't have to go through the uh, several layers of, of uh, red tape that you mentioned there here. Uh, teacher just calls us up and says, you know, can you install this for us or can you unlock it so I can install it? Um, but yeah, it's, it definitely makes you have to plan your route a little better, which is a good idea anyway. That's one of the things we've always sort of uh, uh, gro groused about with teachers is that they will have this lesson plan that's very technology dependent and they've not tested it or planned for it or done anything. They're just going to walk in and wing it. And uh, the one sure thing about technology is it will fail every time. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and that's not to discredit anything that my, my tech people do because they're great, but uh, I am one of those teachers that you talk of where I'll have an idea driving to work, you know, 20 minutes before and get to school and go, oh, okay, that's blocked. Now what? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> You, you kind of have to find ways around that, and I, you know, going back to the web apps, that's a nice way to do it because chances are good that they are going to be unblocked, especially if uh, if there's a problem or if they're something educational, uh, and they're never affected by something like deep freeze. So that's why I tend to gravitate towards those more than other things. Right. Well, uh, I, I just uh, wanted to say, you know, we came across you and it was actually through one of our listeners that kind of pointed me in your direction. I didn't know if you had known that. Uh, but uh, first, I wanted to mention your blog, which is classroominthecloud.net. So I want to get that out there so our listeners can go check that out. And, uh, you know, you've got a great blog and uh, mention a lot of things that you're doing. And I uh, wanted to bring up first uh, just uh, something that's, you know, right after our own hearts here is you do quite a bit of work with. 
uh, podcasting and you, you even have a blog entry about uh, setting up a, a very tightwad approved uh, podcasting rig for the classroom. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your experiences in, uh, in podcasting and you also did some other broadcasting, is that right? Yeah, actually I grew up, uh, my father was a music teacher, so I grew up with instruments all over the place. Uh, and all through high school and into college, I played in rock bands. So bringing some of that audio knowledge into the classroom was made a lot of sense to me. So that's kind of how it started. Um, when I first started teaching, like most teachers, I didn't even know what a podcast was. I mean, it's amazing. This is something that's been around for so long, and people still don't really know what it is. You know, people, you've mentioned before, so I'll, I'll beat you to it because I need to sound smart any chance I get. But <laughs> you, you, you've said how you don't need a iPod to podcast. And that's still something that is not common knowledge. So it just shows that this is something that even though it's been around forever, really isn't an emer it's still an emerging technology. Um, so when I started, I didn't know what a podcast was. I just knew that uh, the kids really responded well to audio broadcast or audio. I was really good at doing it and recording things. So it just kind of meshed together. Um, so that's kind of how I got, I myself got into podcasting. I love, I'm looking at your blog post there and you've got musician's friend gear. Um, yay to musician's friend. Any, anybody who's ever been a touring, uh, <laughs> band knows and loves musician's friend. Um, I'm looking at your parts list there. You've got the, the Audio Technic M4000, the same microphone that we use and, uh, um, the Behringer Euro rack. That's, I think that's one of the ones I recommended in the, the, uh, post that I did, uh, several months ago about how to build a cheap one. So you're a, you're a man after my own heart. Actually, Sean just said that you're me, but a teacher. Yeah. You're the teacher version of Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Cause I, I spent about 15 years, uh, in bands and doing, uh, uh, live sound recording and studio recording. So that's, that's how I got into this thing. Uh, so, uh, do you, uh, what, how do you do that with your students? Uh, I mean, uh, you, you've described that, uh, you're, uh, podcasting, but tell me how you would introduce that to a student and, and what you're going to do in terms of a lesson plan with podcasting. Um, well, let me take a step back and I'll tell you the, the first experience I had with it. Um, probably five years, six years ago now, uh, I always do a, a a unit using old-time radio plays because they really work well in terms of uh, teaching the kids how to write and speak expressively because you really need to use a lot of imagery, a lot of description. And uh, I was looking up things online for radio plays and radio broadcasting, that kind of thing, and I accidentally stumbled over uh, someone selling this homemade uh, radio transmitter. And what I found out, it's basically what um, if you ever go to like a drive-in movie and they broadcast right to your car. That's what they use. So I, I saw it and I happened to run down to my principal and say, oh, this looks really neat. We should think about getting one of these for the school. And later that day, I got an email from her saying, you're now in charge of the school radio station. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I walked right into that one and I was non-tenure at the time. So I just had that big flashing <laughs> sucker, you know. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how this started was uh, it was really just an idea, this 30-second idea that turned into this school-wide radio station. And essentially what it was were podcasts that the kids would pre-record, and then I would schedule them together using a free piece of software, and it would go out over the airwaves. And it was nice because I didn't have to worry about FCC regulations or any kind of laws because it was a short-range transmitter. It only transmitted about 300 feet in any direction around the building, but it was enough to cover the whole campus. Um, so that's kind of how I got into podcasting. And, and what I found was that um, the school liked to turn the radio on during free periods and lunch and that kind of thing to listen. But I had just as many uh, students, other kids and teachers listening to the podcast that then I would also post on the school website, the different shows and segments and episodes that the kids would write. So uh, that's kind of how I started to realize that what I didn't really know at the time was podcasting was actually something that was really, really viable in terms of uh, what I could do in, in class. Uh, how long ago was this? Uh, I want to say that I did it for three years and then there was, it just kind of faded out, but that was uh, 2007 through like 2009. Okay. And so you uh, described that process. You said the students did things pre-recorded. Uh, you had one uh, quote-unquote studio rig there, and, and how did you make that work for anybody who might want to duplicate that? Sure. Uh, the, the rig I used was very similar to what I had posted on my blog that you would mentioned earlier. 
uh, and I was actually fortunate enough, there was a spare office room down in the main office, actually right next to the principal's office. And uh, she volunteered that as like the studio room. So I would have kids coming throughout the day to go down there. And because it was in uh, a heavily supervised area, I didn't necessarily have to be in the room. So I didn't have to worry about my schedule in terms of when I was teaching because they could go down and know that the principal was literally on the other side of the door. And that pretty much stopped any kind of uh, problems in terms of discipline. But the kids would go down and we would have uh, weekly meetings before school. It basically operated as a club. But we'd have weekly meetings where they would come up with ideas or brainstorm topics. Um, some of them would have uh, a show that they do every week. We had game shows and news and sports, that kind of thing. But they basically coordinate with me what it was they were going to be doing. I give them a, a deadline and they would go down, record and edit and have that ready. They could submit it right through um, a Dropbox folder on our network. So all I would have to do the next week is go down and uh, sync up when things were playing and put it into my software. We would run usually the same shows throughout the week. It'd be uh, just a, a cycle, it'd, it'd repeat. Usually there was like four or five hours worth of stuff that would just go throughout the day. Um, and I, I'd alternate so it wasn't always playing at the same period. So that way if a student had study hall fourth period every day, they would hear something different throughout the week during that fourth period. Okay, that sounds cool. So you did it like like a chess club or something like that. It was the the radio club, basically. Yeah, that sounds really neat. And uh, I'm fumbling a little bit here because my Windows machine crashed while you were talking <laughs> there, so I don't have my notes in front of me. Right. <laughs> uh, you said it fizzled. I'm interested in that. Did uh, um, did the just the interest dry up or your time to do it? How, what fizzled about it? Um, a couple things. Uh. Part was my time. Um, at the time when I started, I didn't have any kids. Uh, by the time I ended it, I had two children at home. And actually, I now have three. My wife and I had three kids in four years. So uh, time is kind of something that's always uh, right on the edge of waning. But uh, so that was part of it was just time for me to, to keep all that coordinated because I really wanted to do it well. I figured if I was going to, I didn't want to uh, only put halfway into it. Uh, other part too is just more contractual stuff in terms of renegotiating contracts and and money for stipends and that kind of thing, which really wasn't an issue for me. But it, it was kind of like that last blow to, to put the thing to rest for a little while. You get paid? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, for clubs. For nice. clubs <laughs> no, that was a joke. I I didn't think teachers made any money. I'm married to one. She doesn't make any money. Uh, only in Wisconsin, I'm told. Is oh, that right? Okay. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned a piece of software that you use for your radio station, but you didn't say what it was. Uh, what is oh. that? Um, it's if anyone is interested in doing some kind of radio station or anything um, over like the PA announcement in terms of uh, sequencing uh, audio, uh, it's excellent. The software is called Zara Radio, and it's just ZaraStudio.com, I think. Um, and it's a free program that basically manages automated playlists. Um, it was originally intended for like college radio. So late at night when they didn't have a DJ in the studio, they could basically pump a bunch of audio files into it and then it would sequence it out. But it's incredible. It works so well and it's free uh, and it's just filled with um, all kinds of extras and all kinds of add-ons. Uh, it can do everything from automating when a file is played. It can pull down... Um, off their Zara server somewhere that uh, the time, the temperature, it can do all that and you can automatically automatically play that. Like when I did mine, I would have kids come in and record very simple little audio messages um, just announcing what period it was. You know, it is now fourth period, get to class. And I could have that be automated to, to interrupt whatever is playing at that time every day and come over. So I really just kind of give a polished feel to everything as opposed to just putting everything in to say, you know, um, um, a Windows media player file and letting it rotate through. Um, I should interject in here. That was our teacher tip of the week. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. As uh, I said, I didn't have my notes. Uh, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, and that was a tip that uh, that you provided for us. So we do appreciate that. And that's right. Sean is right now going to find another teacher. Oh tip no, of the week. no, no! That was my freebie. <laughs> that was the one. I, I had a free pass this week. So. <laughs> So, uh, okay. So, uh, so that, that whole thing kind of winds down, but then, uh, podcasting comes along. How, how, how did that timeline work for you? Yeah. You know, and podcasting actually, it, it's kind of come full circle. Um, the radio started 
or the, the radio started because I was doing those old time radio plays and um, just recently I kind of revisited that unit and decided well what the heck why don't I do some podcasting again so I actually um, went back and had the kids write their uh, old time radio play scripts their stories like I had in the past but I, re I set up this whole rig I had again and um, had them come in and basically perform live to other kids who were listening in another room um, their radio play and it, again, it worked really well, and it just kind of shows the versatility of podcasting. And, uh, okay, so uh, you get that whole thing going there, and how did the kids really respond to that? It, was they, it kind of in the same way? Yeah, you know, and they took it seriously. And the nice thing about podcasting, you know, you always hear people who – are not necessarily uh, who have not not yet bought into the whole idea of technology in the classroom. One of the big gripes that you hear from them is that well, you're no longer teaching content; you're teaching technology. You teach them how to use PowerPoint, or you teach them how to Google search, and and they don't necessarily see uh, the power behind that or the importance behind that. And the, the thing with podcasting that I found is it really doesn't matter what you're using it for. Um, you're teaching the kids things like planning. You're teaching the kids things like presentation and uh, speaking and fluency and all those. So uh, that was one of the interesting things I I found was that when we did ours, I had very little giggling. I had very little goofing around, uh, which is what you normally see if you had a kid stand in front of a, a classroom and say, okay, present something. So actually inserting the podcasting, that technology in did make it a, a better lesson, made it a, a better project overall. I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, do you run a, a program where you have to teach uh, A on day A and B on day B? And are, are you on a really strict schedule there where I know a lot of teachers who, uh, especially here in Texas, are on a program like that? Uh, they're really hard pressed to work technology into all of that because they're, they're already held to such a standard of uh, curriculum. Uh, are you held to similar standards? And if so, what kind of challenges has that presented you in, in integrating the technology? We really don't run like a scripted program or a scripted curriculum. Uh, we have aligned the curriculum pretty much K K eight at this point, we're working on the high school. Um, but we, aligned it more towards skills as opposed to the content. So that gives us a lot of freedom. Uh, that just basically means that when I have eighth graders, the ninth grade teacher is going to look to see what kind of skills they hit. It doesn't necessarily matter how I got to that point. So it does give me a lot of freedom in terms of what I do and how I integrate technology into the class. And, and that's been really helpful. That's really, that's, that's good. I, I think it's uh, something I wish was more prevalent out there. You know, it's easy to, to prescribe a fix, but that's not always the case because the teacher in the end is the one that knows uh, what the kids need and how to best deliver it to them. So I think my, my district has done a really good job of giving us that power, um, but at the same time not having us all doing our own thing. All right. So, uh, so you, you got into the podcasting thing and the kids seem to love it. Uh, tell us a little bit, uh, about the stuff we love. What kind of, uh, what kind of setup do you have? What, what did you do and how did you get that? Was that something you had to come out of pocket for or your district to help back you up? What? Oh, you, you're talking about the actual equipment? Correct. Yeah. Um, Again, I got kind of lucky. Uh, we have a district, uh, a grant that's actually funded by, uh, uh, I don't know if it's the state or, or the county, but we have a, a, a grant that's available to us um, basically for small year-to-year -year classroom projects. So if you're doing some kind of service project or some kind of community project, you can apply for this grant, and it's about $2,000. So the first year I did the, the radio, I used pretty much my own equipment. Like I said, I had been in band, so I had all kinds of junk laying around in the basement. So I, I really pieced together a, a very, very uh, kind of abysmal setup, to be honest. But that was enough to get me through that year, and then I applied for that grant, and I, I uh, won it. So I bought everything on the grant, and that's actually kind of nice for me now because, because the radio doesn't uh, necessarily exist anymore. Uh, all the equipment still does, and it is housed in my room. <laughs> so uh, I kind of won that stuff and it, it's, it's been in my room ever since. Okay. So, uh, I guess, uh, of course they can, people can go to your blog and, uh, get details there, but tell us some details about exactly what, uh, what the rig that you're running now is. Well, you know, first of all, anyone who hasn't done podcasting, you can do it with anything that has a microphone. So if your computer has a built-in microphone, 
you can use that. Um, so what I have is a little bit bigger than that uh, because I know that when I'm doing podcasting, I usually have groups going at a time. So I'll have more than one uh, student going up and, and talking or doing whatever. So I made sure that I had a setup that would accommodate that and accommodate different volumes and, and different people speaking without having to really push past each other and, and play with the microphones at all. So I have a, a real basic um, USB uh, uh, four track unit that goes right into the computer and then I have four microphones that plug into that. So uh, it's really not much at all. It's a very, very basic setup. And then to record, I use just like you guys, I use Audacity. It's the program. That's the one that everyone uses. There's, it's fabulous. <laughs> and free. And free. Yeah. Right. You know, when I started the, the first year, like I said, because I was, uh, you know, I was the rock star at the time I brought in what I had. And at the time I had, uh, it eventually turned into Adobe Audition, which is hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But before that it was called cool edit pro. And, uh, that's what I used with the kids. And I realized it was kind of like driving a Rolls Royce to go get groceries. I mean, it did so much more than <laughs> the students needed. Uh, and that's when I switched over to Audacity, and I haven't looked back since. I'm just curious: Do you use the um, the beta versions of Audacity, or do you stick with the uh, the mainstream versions? At home, I usually go with the beta. But again, because we have Deep Freeze installed at school, we're usually about a, a version behind because they'll update it when they reimage computers over the summer, and then it sits there. So um, I'm using whatever was out last year about this time because that's about when they start to update our computers at school. I tend to always install whatever the latest beta is and go out and, and update it uh, periodically. And, and unlike a lot of other softwares uh, that I've used, that has never seemed to be a, a stability hit. So I just wanted to throw that out there about Audacity is uh, they're adding new features. And so you, you'll get a, a new little button that you didn't have before or a new filter you didn't have before. But it always seems to be as stable as their mainstream version, uh, at least in my experience. Your, your mileage may vary. Well, yeah, and that's been my experience. I have the beta uh, installed in my classroom. And, I mean, we haven't had one single glitch i haven't had really one single error uh now that we've done oh gosh i don't know probably 50 podcasts or more so uh you're right i mean this latest beta is working great so is there anything else you wanted to talk to us about other than just podcasting what are some uh unique things that uh, you're proud of and want to want to regale us with you know i i have one thing that's actually kind of on the horizon that I've lost sleep over, you know, my, my wife is amazing because I come home and I tell her this stuff and she couldn't care less. She's not an educator, but she kind of smiles and goes, oh, yeah, that sounds good. So since I have a captive audience, um, you have to hear it, too. Um, <laughs> you know, we um, like I said, we are doing the the one to one computing next year and all the kids are getting these netbooks and like pretty much standard on everything. Now they have webcams. So I've really been racking my brain on how to be using these webcams in the classroom and uh uh, one of our, our technology integrators and I have been working with QR codes, uh, and I don't know how, how much you know about them, but they're quick response codes. You're seeing them all over the magazines and newspapers now. They're those little squares that have the almost look like little pixelated blocks in it. Right. And, uh, and you can actually, uh, using the webcam and some software, you can actually uh, scan them with the computer, and that opens up sites, and that opens up videos, and pretty much anything you link to. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of possibilities with that in terms of taking things that go on in the classroom and bringing them home. And because next year, my kids, regardless of uh, income or regardless of family, they're all going to have laptops to bring home with them because those laptops for the one-to-one -one computing travel with them. I'm seeing these QR codes as a, a great way to really enhance uh, learning and what we do in school. For example, this is something I've been talking with one of, with one of uh, the math teachers. She can make a a quick video of her demonstrating how to solve an equation, make a QR code from that and copy and paste it onto her worksheet so the kids can go home at night, do their homework, and if they're not sure how to do it, they can take a quick scan and then up comes her, their teacher and they could be sitting at their kitchen table and be getting retaught the lesson. So uh, QR codes are definitely something that I think are, are going to be really invading schools more than they are right now. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to see how that, that plays out. Do you have any experience with any uh, online courseware like Moodle or anything like that uh, with your students? Not really. They've experimented a little bit with Moodle at the high school level, but it hasn't really come down to us. 
and my suspicion is it probably won't, um, only because next year, in addition to the the one to one computing, there we're also moving to uh, a cloud platform. So I think a lot of the stuff that is embedded into that software, and I think it was a proprietary software that they purchased. But of course, it was. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. So, a very uh, expensive, almost as functional piece of equipment. I'm sure. I, exactly. And I just like to say, for the record, I had very little to say in that decision. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I think that's going to take the place of, of something like Moodle for us. Okay. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I'm, I'm interested in um, uh, your experiences. I know you're, you're talking about the, the one-to-one thing uh, now, but uh, what sort of ways do you integrate technology into your classroom um, with, you know, computers and websites and, and things other than the podcasting. What, uh, what are some of the things, uh, that, uh, teachers can take, uh, from this r- podcast right now and, and, and do, uh, to sort of integrate the, this real world outside that seems to, to be ignored in most schools? Did I was just babbling there, wasn't Did that make any sense at all? <laughs> sure it did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one that's fresh in my mind only because literally I was working on it today with, with all my kids is that Etherpad, that iEtherpad website. Um, if there's anything that a teacher listening right now is, is going to want to remember and at least take a look at, it's that. It's just an incredible website. Um, it's a collaborative writing website. And um, I set it up right before, we just got back from our Easter break. And I set it up the Friday before break. The kids were working on a group project. And I said, okay, use this site. It's available to you. I didn't even tell them to go on it. And I checked it that night, and there was a group that had been on for three hours the first day of Easter break, of of a full week break, working collaboratively with each other. So it definitely speaks to uh, how well something like that would work. And one of the great things about Etherpad, or iEtherpad, or the clones thereof, uh, is that you don't have to have an account. There's no, it's not like Google Apps where you have to go have an account and have somebody set up. You just log in with the link and, and start going. That's right. And, and that's another thing that I, I try to find is a lot of sites where the students don't need to be using personal emails because at this time we don't have student emails in our district and it just gets a little too hairy to be having the, the kids use their own emails, especially considering a lot of them are blocked. Like we can't get to Yahoo and Gmail and that kind of thing at, uh, on school. And um, something as simple the logistics of a kid signing up with an account and then not being able to activate it or losing a password and having it sent to an email account they can't get to, to school from school. So I always try to find websites where either it can be under just my email that I can then push out individual student accounts or something where I don't need any of that. Um, and Etherpad fits that. Um, the other one that I, I really like that's very similar is a, a website. Again, you talked about it. Storybird is the same way, storybird.com. Um, you can actually sign up as a teacher and then create student accounts from that that master's name. And, and I found that to be a really great way to do uh, creative writing, creative storytelling online as well. Grumbledook in the chat room uh, recommends Primary Pad, another Etherpad clone. Once that was open source, all sorts of sites uh, opened up, and he says that's the one that they like. So thought I'd mention that as well. Yeah, um, Etherpad, well, the advantage I found with iEtherpad uh, – the one big one that I know the original Etherpad didn't have, I don't know about the new ones, um, but you can have unlimited number of people in in there at a time. I think the original Etherpad, you can only have eight people in at a time. Um, and that was a, a little tricky when I try to do full group things. Uh, for example, the first time I found iEtherpad, we were doing The Raven, the poem The Raven. So I basically just on the fly real quick hit that create button on iEtherpad uh, made a blank document, gave all the kids computers and said, you have five minutes, make a translation. So each group or each kid had a different line that they were supposed to be translating. And I got to sit at my desk and kind of watch the chaos unfold on the, the screen. But really, in the end, we made group notes. That's what it came out to be. So uh, just another example of how a site like that can really be beneficial. Right. I've seen teachers, uh, our English teachers, uh, interestingly enough, the language arts teachers are the ones that often get the most turned on about that collaborative uh, sort of thing. Here we've seen it done with our um, uh, Google Docs where uh, exactly what you're talking about, collaborative notes. You'll have students correcting each other's mistakes live and and bouncing off of each other and, and somebody will, uh, will have an idea and somebody else will run with it and it's uh, in the end what you have is this sort of master document that is the collaboration of 
20 kids work, uh, and they all benefit more than, than if any of one of them had done it all themselves. Right. I'm curious. You mentioned uh, looking looking at their screens. Is that physically looking over the shoulder or in your labs? Do you have uh, some sort of software on the teacher desktop there where you can uh, remote in and uh, and watch them? And um, we we do in some of the labs, but in this case, I can watch on my screen. If I go into that same pad, that same iEther pad, I can watch it happen, and you can see it in real time as they type. Right. So, I, I usually sat there. The other nice thing that all those uh, derivatives of, of Etherpad have is a timeline feature. So um, you can actually play back and see what was being typed and what was being erased, which is actually kind of funny because I've caught a couple kids on there now who uh, might type something a little less than desirable and then real quick erase it to try to be funny, you know, someone else that's in there. And then I can hop on later on and check that timeline and basically replay all the actions and see things pop up that uh, aren't in the finished product. So. Um, you don't have to have any of that uh, software to, to watch the screens. I remember back in the summer doing administrative training on Google Docs, and we had our uh, principals and superintendents and secretaries in the room, and and somebody uh, posted in the collaborative document that we were working on something like, Sean is a, a goof or something. It right. Was, it was an insult <laughs> to somebody, and then uh, wrote out beside it something like, you know, Bob wrote this, um, and, and I let it go. And then later, when we were talking about revision checking, I went back, and now let's go see here, and we can see who wrote this. Oh, no, there, there. There's the login. That's the person who wrote that. And uh, uh, teachers do tend to enjoy that uh, uh, revision history. That and that was kind of funny in that room, you know, superintendent and principals, and you know, basically everybody who's who's heading up the district, and how quickly it devolved into a seventh grade. Right, they were just like middle school students. Right. People are people, no matter what their age. All right, John, I, I think we've sort of covered all the notes you have for us, uh, so uh, we'll take this opportunity to wrap up. As I often say uh, of our guest, is there any one last thought you'd want to uh, uh, leave us all with? Uh, no, you know, I for me personally, this has been pretty cool because I'm kind of on the other side of the podcast, you know, going back to what I said originally, you know, how we started the show, but uh, I've never gotten to be the guest before, so I think that's kind of cool to, to do that. So thank you for giving me that opportunity, and it's already given me more ideas of stuff I'm going to go and bring back with, to my students tomorrow. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Without guests, we wouldn't have a show because Sean and I aren't that smart. Right, yeah, we're, we're very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, again, uh, your uh, classroom blog is classroominthecloud.net. Uh, have you got a Twitter handle you want to share with us or uh, any other contact information? Sure. My, my Twitter is just my first and last name pushed together. So it's just at John Mikulski. And I think there's a link to that on my, my blog as well. Okay. And so uh, look him up. I'm sure that you're always willing to uh, share ideas with other teachers uh, and um, let us know how that goes. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. I, we, we'd like to hear from you uh, maybe in a year or so after you've lived with that one-to-one -one laptop thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's that what I'd like to, like to hear the experiences there. Because we often hear about people who are implementing it or on their way into it. We never hear from the grizzled old vets who talk about the whole one-to-one -one thing. So sure. we, we may be getting back with you about that. Absolutely. I'd love to share. All right, John. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, John. And once again, that was John Mikulski, um, classroom teacher, tightwad teacher, right. as we're, we like to call him. So that, uh, once again, his website is uh, http colon slash slash www.classroominthecloud.net <laughs> slash. Yes, just in case you are using the internet in 1990. <laughs> right. What you do is you open Netscape <laughs> and you go up to that bar at the top. Oh, I, I've got to. I've got to tell you this one. Since you just mentioned that, is uh, you know, I put the Linux Mint on some units in my classroom, and uh, the very first thing, because you know, this this student wants to use the web, so she sees the Firefox and knows what that is. She knows what that icon means. She opens it. It looks a little bit different, right? And she says, "How how do I use this?" And I mean, you know, it's a browser with an address bar of like you, just like you always do it, but just that slight little change in appearance. Shut down. Shut okay. down. Whoop. Wall went down. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So anyway. All right. So, uh, yeah, again, John Mikulski, great guy, a really neat teacher. Sounds like, uh, 
we could probably use a lot more of them out there. Right. And since John is punking, uh, Sean, not John, Sean is, <laughs> is punking out on the teacher tip of the week and letting, letting John do all the work. Right. Um, not that I haven't done that. I, I was going to say, whenever it's a tech one, you know, you get to no. piggyback. Yeah. See, when I do it, it's efficient. When he does it, it's lazy. Right. <laughs> Uh, so w- that was your teacher tip of the week, but I have a doozy tech tip of the week for, for the real geeks out there. Um, now anybody who isn't wearing a beanie with a propeller on top, just fast forward because it, you won't, uh, uh, won't appeal to you. Uh, but this is called duplicate commander and it's from uh, rayburnsoft.net. Um, and this thing will scan your windows NTFS hard drive Look for any duplicate files anytime you've got a file with the same, that's exactly the same in more than one location. And it will replace all but one of those with a hard link to the, the one. To, to the, like an original. Right. So it deduplicates your hard drive. Only geeks care about that, especially in this world of three terabyte laptop drives. Nobody cares about file duplication, but if you're a geek and you're all about optimization, then, then, uh, I mean, I, I got a little, honestly, I got a little warm when I read about that because it, you know, my geek, my geek juices started flowing. Now, does that work on just a local machine or is that a, like, can you do that on a server? Any Windows NTFS partition. So, oh, yeah. Wow. Nice. So if you've so got a Windows server. Right. Right. Uh so if you've got um that server would be a great thing uh, where because they're all there does tend to be a lot of redundancy in storage systems when when multiple people are are storing things they're all storing that same PDF document that the principal emailed uh, six months ago. Uh, what I, what I was thinking was uh, of course important stuff like that, but you know it's also the monkey peeing on his own head and well, stuff like that. Right? <laughs> I don't even want to know where that came from. Is that real? No, don't tell me. Yeah, but you you know you got five hundred copies of it on your server That's because. Everybody got that email and had to save it. You know? So Duplicate Commander will take care of that. It'll uh, w- with uh, folks in the Linux world have been familiar with hard links for a long time, uh, but in the Windows world, it's relatively new. Vista and Windows Seven uh, are the first to uh, make a uh, a user interface for it. But I think it's a, been available for a long time. Uh, a hard link is 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 like a shortcut. But it, um, is, it's like a shortcut on steroids. It makes the, uh, uh, the link, the system doesn't think it's looking at a shortcut. It thinks it looks at, it's looking at the original file. Right. But it's not actually there. So anyway, duplicate commander from Rayburn Soft. There'll be a link to it in the, uh, on the show notes. So check that one out. All you hardcore geeks out there who, who just need to optimize and, and shave off 300K out of your four terabyte drive. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, great show. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's yeah. been, but no, but see, I didn't do the contact stuff. And oh, you no, just, you, you could throw that on no, there. No, you ruined it. You said great that's, show. That's footer. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say anything after you say great show. Okay. I retract my great oh, okay. show. It could still suck. It's been, re- <laughs> that's right. I could mess this up. Right. If you want to be on the show, as, as uh, uh, John said, that uh, it's a lot of fun and he's learning from it. So if you want to be on the show, uh, hit us up at our website at, at uh, thetightwadtech.com. There's a, a contact button right up at the top uh, where you can fill out a form and, and let us know uh, that you want to be on the show or just drop us a line about anything. We've had people ask for help about you know podcasting or whatever, and, and we read those and respond to as many as we can. Um, or uh, like George did, I mean, he... he- pointed me in the direction of you know a teacher right. he knew that was uh, kind of fell in line with uh, our principles so right. uh yeah by all means i can always use a little help when it comes to lining up guests you can also follow us on the various social networks out there and by various i mean two uh the uh, twitter.com slash the the tightwad tech or uh facebook.com slash the tightwad tech we're not on identica or google or, buzz, or, or, is, is, buzz does not qualify or, yeah. or what are those there's a million of them out there uh diaspora but anyway, we're not on any of those. Just Facebook and Twitter for us. Right. Um, and of course, if you, uh, we need voicemails. Um, and also, if you'd like to send us an email that you want us to read on the show, that would be great. Uh, so far, we haven't had any of those, but I would, we, we'd like to do that. Read, read some of your uh, comments or questions. If you have a question that, uh, that you want to pause, uh, post, uh, 
pose. There's the there word. You go. If you have a question, question that you want to pose to our vast uh, tightwad network of, of listeners, uh, let us know. Because if we don't know the answer, uh, the sum of the parts is always greater than the whole or something like that. Um, <laughs> you can do that. Uh, again, if you want to leave us a voicemail that we'll play on the air, uh, uh, you can do that. at uh, The phone number is uh, 530-FRUGAL2 or uh, right there on our website. There's a call us widget, which I'm pretty sure only works in the U.S., um, we've got, uh, some folks, uh, from overseas in the chat room right now. Sorry. That's just American chauvinism. It, uh, it doesn't work for you. I don't think. Yeah. We definitely have big heads in the, in the U S yeah, but no uh, doubt about that. Actually, I think it's big phone bills is what that's all about. <laughs> right. Google doesn't want them to deal with that. Uh, so you guys can use the website and, and, uh, send us a mail, uh, and we'll, uh, be happy to, uh, read that on the air. And so now, Sean, yeah, it's still a great show. Okay, still yeah. a great show. I didn't bring it down too much. No, no, not okay. at all. <laughs> all right, thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. And for now, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs>